Here we are, we just finished up the uh, sermon series, Abundant Life Skills. What did you think of that? That was pretty great, wasn't it? Skills we need to learn to acquire the abundant, full life that the scriptures say we should have. Man, that's pretty good. I loved it. Uh, So now we're starting a new series today called Holy Stories. Pretty self-explanatory. It's about stories in the Bible and uh, what we can learn from them. Why are there so many stories in the Bible? You know, there's just tons of them. And you start looking at it, well, that's the easiest way for us to learn sometimes. You hear a story, someone else's experience, you look at how they handle the situation or what led up to it or what the consequences are of it, and we can learn a lot from that. That's why God put so many stories in there. And, you know, when I thought about this, I hesitate to call them stories because, I mean, what do you think of when you hear stories? I think of Peter Pan. <laughs> that's a good story. But is Peter Pan real? No, he never has been, never will be. We've got to realize these are documentations of real events that happen to real people. As somebody, actually a lady after church last night, handed me a note and said, here, here's what I thought of when you said that. It says, they aren't really just stories, they're histories. And in parentheses, his stories. Isn't that cool? They're his stories. Um, and the Bible, as you put it, the Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth. B-I-B-L-E. Yeah, that's what it is, and so that's the whole thing, is we're going to look at these stories and see what we can learn from, from them. So today I'm going to talk to you the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a small book in the Old Testament that's kind of overlooked sometime, but Nehemiah was called to a mission, wasn't he? He was called to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So I'll give you a little history leading up to this. Nehemiah's family was in the city of, in the, of Jerusalem at one point. Jerusalem is in the province of Judah, and Jerusalem had become just this incredible city, uh, kind of the jewel of the whole area, and it was fortified with a big heavy wall. No one could get in and break in. That's where Solomon's temple was. As you know, Solomon was the wisest man to ever live, the richest man to ever live, so this city was blessed, and this temple was all inlaid gold and bronze and all kinds of stuff like that. So, of course, people with ill intentions really wanted to get in and take over Jerusalem. And it was attacked over and over and over again throughout time. And eventually King Nebuchadnezzar succeeded, came in and took over Jerusalem and just plundered it and killed the people. Um, in one account I read where it said the ones that, that died were lucky because they just plundered and pillaged the whole city. They turned the awesome temple of Solomon into a house of prostitution and idol worship and just all kinds of stuff like that. They just destroyed this great city that was once a great city of God. Uh, They honored God, and that's why they were blessed so much. Uh, And then now it just got desecrated like that. So Nehemiah is in, eventually this family was exiled. He ended up in the city of Susa, which uh, was quite a ways away. And he worked his way up. He became the cupbearer of the king of Susa. And the cupbearer of the king had a really important duty. He had to uh, taste test the wine or the water or the juice or whatever he was given to the king. And if he didn't die, well, then they'd give it to the king. So kind of a hazardous job. There's people trying to poison the king. But what an honor. You had to be in a trusted position to be put right in the courts of the king with him and to deliver his, his beverages to him. So this guy had worked his way up in a pretty trusted, pretty trusted guy. Um, so that's what led up to where we're at in Nehemiah. And that's where we'll begin. We'll start reading Nehemiah. So let's pray for the uh, sermon once more before we get started here and then dig into Nehemiah. 
Thank you, God, for this story of Nehemiah, and I just pray today you would put in our hearts what you want us to learn from this. Help us to see it in the light that uh, you intend for us today, uh, and that we'd walk away with something more uh, from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so, Susa is actually now, it's called Shush Iran. Uh, Susa was at one time known as the oldest city in existence, uh, and it's Shush Iran now. So I did some study, and when Nehemiah made his travels from Susa back to Jerusalem, it's 766 miles as a crow flies. So that's over 800 miles by the time they traveled all across desert and mountains and everything. So keep that in mind as we're reading this. That's a long ways with horses and camels and on foot and all that. So it was, it was a, this is a sizable undertaking that he's taking. Let's start out by just, we're going to read through chapter 1 just to get a, get a feel for where we're at here, and then we'll kind of pick it apart after that. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year while I was citadel in Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you, I think it said. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was the cupbearer of the king. So he threw that in the end there, saying, God, give me, give me favor in the presence of this man. Well, because I'm the cupbearer of the king, so I'm going to go before the king. So he's letting us know that. So there's the first chapter. And uh, so as I'm studying, this actually came, just started welling up in me about three months ago or so, and I told Pastor Mike, man, I need to preach on Nehemiah sometime. He said, great, I want to do a series on holy stories in the summer here, so that'll fit right in. So uh, they're gone for this weekend, so I get to, get to preach on this. Because as I studied this out, I went, there's just so much we can learn from this and so much that God wants for us out of this. So I started looking at how did Nehemiah react. He found out that the city he grew up in, the city of his ancestors, was in in shambles. And what's the first thing he did? Let's read verse 4. Go back to verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. 
And it's like God said, do you know the condition of your city, of your county, of the place around you, and do you weep for the brokenhearted? We have to think about that because that's the heart of God. That's the mind of Christ. He weeps for the brokenhearted around us and those in shambles. That's the first thing he did. Verses 5 through 7. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night. Your servants, the people of Israel, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and the laws you gave your servant Moses. So that's the first thing he did. He fell on his face before God. And first of all, he prayed God's promises. Uh, and that's, we see that in the following chapters too. He prayed the promises of God. Why is that? Why is it that you pray, hey God, you remember you promised this and that? Is God forgetful? Of course not. But it's to remind us, for one thing, hey, God promised. And God said he was going to do this. And it encouraged us. Boy, that's a faith builder, isn't it? Who else is it to remind? Satan. We've got an enemy. There's a spiritual war going on there. And when you speak that into the air, you speak that in the spiritual realm, that's powerful. Look, God said that we're going to have victory. He's the overcomer. Boy, that just cuts him like a knife. Praise God. So that's what, it's not about reminding God because he didn't forget. It's about reminding us and it's reminding the enemy what God's promises really are. Uh, we've got to take hold of that. But... The other thing that he did here, he confessed his sins. And he confessed the sins of the nation as he was one of them. He could have said, yeah, those wicked sinners, I know they did a lot of bad things, but God help them anyway. And that's easy to do for us, isn't it? You look on Facebook all over there's stuff nowadays, you know. You could say, it's those Obama supporters, you know, or whatever your thing is. Ruining the country or whatever. But he didn't do that. We need to take ownership ourselves and say, God, we are a wicked nation. Forgive us. Help us. Uh, we need to take ownership and not just pile it on somebody else because that's not going to do anyone any good. So let's read verses 8 through 10 then again just to see his praying the promises of God. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are faithful, I'll scatter you among the nations. So God had already told him way in advance this was going to happen. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. There's the promise. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and mighty hand. So there he is. He's praying the promises of God. This is what you said. This is what you told us. So this is what I'm claiming and this is what I'm grabbing a hold of. We need to do that, don't we? Claim and grab a hold of the promises of God. First, you've got to know them. So we've got to read his word and understand what he promises to us, which is kind of what we did in the Abundant Life series. Uh, this is the things God has for us. All right, so let's go into chapter 10 and see what the... Re- or chapter 2, I mean, see what the results are of... Uh, I scared you, Rebecca, didn't I? <laughs> I don't have chapter 10 ready. <laughs> Sorry. We'll go into chapter 2 and see what the results is. What did he do? Now, here's one thing, too. This book is full of hard-to-pronounce names and all kinds of stuff. Ah, so forgive me if I'm jumbling. King Art, we're going to call him King Art, okay? Just to make it easy here. So in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Art, 
When wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I'd not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. And I answered the king, If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, I love this, he said, Oh, he's going to say yes, so now I'm going to ask for more, he said. (laughs) I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaf, the keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and a cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote welfare, the welfare of the Israelites. So that's pretty amazing, isn't it? He goes before this king, the cupbearer of the king, and just says, hey, I'm sad because my city's ruined. The king's like, oh, so what do you want to do? Well, I want to go fix it. Well, okay, how long do you need? So he figured out a time. Well, think about it. It had to have been a month's travel time to get there, and who knows how long to build this. I can't remember what it was. And then another month, this was a, long, a big commitment. And then he asked for letters for the other people that would give him safe travel. And then he said, can you talk to the royal force and let them give me all the timber that I need to build it and everything? And the king said, yes. That's the hand of God. I mean, why would a king do that? That's huge. Uh, and, he, and he got it. He got the commitment out of him. So here's the thing I learned from that. Nehemiah used the position of influence God had put him in for God's glory and to serve God. And he stepped out. I don't care what your position in life is right now. You're there for a reason. There's not a question in my mind. I can tell you from personal experience, I've seen it. God has brought Lisa and I through lots of stuff over the years. Been married 28 years now. And uh, even in ministry and different things, he's brought us through. But you know what? We can look back now and say, oh, that prepared us for this. That prepared us for this. That prepared us for this. We had to go through that so we could learn how to do this. Over and over again, if you have your eyes open and if you're seeking it, you're right where you're at for a reason. And you'll see someday why you're here, even if it doesn't seem like it right now. And he he placed Nehemiah specifically in this position. He's the cupbearer for a king. What is that doing for the kingdom of God? Oh, it set him up for this. Put him right there so he could use his influence to the king. But if he wouldn't have stepped out, he, he could have very easily said, I don't want to jeopardize this job. I'm cupbearer of the king. This is great. I'm not stepping out. But he didn't. He listened to the voice of God and used his position of influence. If you'd have told me a year ago I was going to be a pastor, I said, no, you're crazy. Even though I was already taking credentialing courses at that time, I just felt like I should and thought, well, that's good. I'll learn more about the Bible and everything. I had no idea what God had for me and that he would place me here and now. 
But looking back, every bit of it was all in place, and he put me right here, right now. It's just really cool to see. So be aware of how God wants to use you every day in whatever position he has you right now, wherever it is. Pray, God, how, who can I influence today? And pray for favor. Look, he had favor with the king, obviously, or the king wouldn't have done this. And I prayed for years, even in the corporate world, God, grant me favor with my employers. Grant me favor with my employees. Grant me favor with the general manager, with the CEO, with anybody. And he would do it and move me here and move me here and move me here. And it's just amazing how he does that when you pray for that. Instead of grumbling and complaining about your employer, pray that God would grant you favor with them. Man, that's being a light to the world, isn't it? That's, that's the attitude we should have. That's a whole different ballgame than being the typical grumbler and showing up just because you have to, uh, to get a paycheck. That's what I learned from Nehemiah there. Use wherever God has put you to step out and for his glory and for his honor. All right, so he goes to the city. Let's read verses 11 through 16, and then we'll get into some other stuff here. So he says, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days... I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. See, that blows my mind because they'd been traveling together with a cavalry and an army and everything for a month, and all these guys didn't know why. They were going to Jerusalem because the king sent Nehemiah and told us to go with them. So he hadn't even told them. And I, I thought about that. Why didn't he tell them? They would have probably turned right around and said, You're crazy. We're not going with you. We're going to get killed. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. So he went out by himself at night. By night I went through the valley gate through the jackal, toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me, and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Amorite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. So he goes out and surveys the city to see what kind of condition it's in and sees the crumbled walls, the burn gates, all of this stuff. Man, that had to be discouraging, right? God said to me as I was reading this, do you know the condition of your city? You know the condition of the people around you, the area that I've called you to. He has called each one of us to minister wherever we're at. Do we know the condition of what's going on around us, or are we putting on the blinders and in tunnel vision mode? So I did a little research. That man, I need to find out. And um, Laura Palumbi, who's I think not here, I think their family's out of town 
today. I asked her for some stats because she, she's a professor at UMD and works with the drug court program, uh, which is fantastic. And so she gave me some stats that just blew my mind. I couldn't believe this. Carleton County, Minnesota, has the highest per capita rate of property crimes related to drug abuse and the highest distribution of illegal drugs per capita of any other county in the state. Did you know that? I didn't. I had no idea. Blows my mind. Carlton County has seen a 200% increase in heroin use in the past five years, and between the years 2011 and 2013, the number of individuals admitted for treatment of heroin abuse went from 19 to 127. That's crazy. The rate of death due to methadone is three times the rate for the rest of the state in Carlton County. Three times the rest of the state. This is rural America, northern Minnesota, right here. That's unbelievable. The state of our city. The crumbled walls. Citydata.com tells me that in 2014, the percentage of people living below the poverty line in Minnesota is 11.2%, but in Carleton County, 14.1%. So it's higher than the rest of the state. Unemployment generally runs 1% to 2% higher in Carleton County than the rest of the state. Uh, Prezi.com uh, has a study on homelessness in the Northland. Homeless stats are kind of hard to pin down because homeless people don't fill out Census Bureau reports and stuff like that. So it's kind of hard to nail down. So a lot of their sources from CHUM, the Churches United in Ministry uh, Shelter in Duluth. The CHUM Drop-In Center in Duluth recorded a record high of 1,079 people, including 75 families that were homeless in the winter of 2013. This is up 17% from years before and up 70% from 2003. The shelters of Duluth often become so full in the winter they have to turn people away. Some sleep in tents throughout the winter and the police department keeps tabs on them. 41% of homeless adults in Minnesota are on a waiting list for subsidized housing. An estimated, an estimated 14,000 people are homeless on any given night in the state of Minnesota. 14,000 people. Nearly half of homeless adults have children with them. There's people with children, like over 7,000 families on the streets on any given night in the state of Minnesota. Now, here's our area. In Carleton County alone, and this is from 2012, so it's a little bit behind, so I don't know what the numbers have done since then. But in Carleton County alone, 752 people were homeless on any given night of October in 2012. Carleton County. Now, it's pretty easy to say, yeah, a lot of it's their fault. And yeah, sometimes they just make poor choices, but that's not always the case. And even if they did, why did they make poor choices? They don't know any better sometimes. We're on the other side of this thing. Man, I, there's tons of people right here in this room right now that have been on the other side of this thing and have been victims of, of addiction and of abuse and all kinds of stuff. And we're sitting on the other side of it going, praise God, we have victory. But man, we've got to reach out and pull them with us, right? We've got to help them out and reach out to them some way. The Covenant Church in Mattawa is doing a pretty cool thing. They have a, a ministry for uh, homeless teenagers. And I didn't even know that they were doing it. They came to one of our ministerial meetings of all the area pastors and priests and all that uh, a couple of months ago to ask for help because they have so much, so many kids, they can't, can't take care of them. So many homeless teens in Mattawa, Minnesota, little tiny Mattawa. 
And it's the same thing with teens. We know a lot of times maybe they just have rebelled. They don't want to follow the rules, and so they, now I'm homeless. They run away, and they're going couch to couch from friends' houses. And they're very good at screening that and taking care of that. But most of these kids are homeless because you know, parents are strung out and, and addicted or abusive, and they're in a dangerous situation, so they have to get out. Uh, or the parents just don't want to take care of them anymore. They're like, get out. We don't want to pay for you anymore. We'd rather pay for more of our, our, their habit. Uh, and this is in Mattawa, Minnesota. There's so many homeless teens that the Covenant Church there who's doing a great thing can't keep up. Uh, that it just blows my mind right here. So I'm going, why is that? Why in the world is, is all this stuff going on? And so I looked up religious stats, and that really tells the story. To me, we know that it's a spiritual battle, right? Here's the heart of it all. Here's the reason for it all. In a survey in Carlton County, there's over, just over 35,000 residents, uh, roughly. 5,632 of them said they're Catholic. 5,485 said they're mainline Protestant. 4,740 said they're evangelical Protestant. 138 said they're something else. And we know that, you know, someone that says I'm Catholic or I'm Lutheran, I'm Assembly of God or I'm this or whatever, a lot of times that just means that's what my mom and dad were and I go to church two or three times a year and that's about it. So if we were to look for people that are seriously serving God, you know that these numbers would be way smaller than what, what is actually up there, right? But here's what kills me. That bottom statistic, I'm going to be honest, when I read that, I sat and wept. That's over half of the residents of Carleton County say, I've got no affiliation with any church or religion. Do you think that correlates with the other statistics? So much. It's a spiritual battle, and we're blind to it, and they're blind to it. It's crazy. So there's the state of our area, the state of our city. So I said, God, what can we do? There's actually a lot we can do. And as we read through more of Nehemiah, we can learn, what did Nehemiah do? So verses 17 through 20, which we already read some of, they said, let's go to work. Let's do it. And they went to work. Great. And then opposition came as well. There's people that opposed what they were doing. But let's see how they got this done. Let's go to chapter 3 and start reading some of that. I know I'm going to run out of time here. There's just so much stuff here. Again, there's a lot of crazy names in here and everything, so we'll try and get through them. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananiel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, the son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hesena. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Miramoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. And next to him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of that guy, made repairs. And the next to him, Zadok, son of Banna, made repairs also. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoya, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to work under their supervisors. Yeah, they said, we're nobles, we're not going to work for you. So anyway, the Jasana gate was repaired by Joida, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, the son of Basodiah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mizpah. Melatiah of Gibeon and Jada and Merinoth, places under the authority of the governor of Trans-Euphrates. 
Uziel, son of Herahiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section, and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored the Jerusalem to Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. And it goes on and on and on. The entire rest of that chapter is more of the same. So do you get the idea? These guys did this piece. 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 See, if you sat there and said, we're going to rebuild the city walls all the way around Jerusalem, you'd go, we can't do that. That's ridiculous. But a lot of these people were rebuilding their homes and trying to get settled back into Jerusalem, and they looked in front of their house and went, we can do that section. All right, we can do that, and then the next people can do the next section, the next people can do the next section. That's what it's all about. That's what God calls us to, isn't it? Just do your part. That's it. And if we're all together doing it, hey, that's not so bad. Kind of like hanging sheetrock downstairs, right, Mark? You and I do that piece, and Joe and Nancy do that piece, and pretty soon the whole thing's done. That's what the whole thing is about, the whole kingdom of God here. So you might say, what can I do? I have an answer. Maybe. I thought, man, there's so much to be done. Do you realize that Good Hope Church is involved in something so much bigger than just us too. What God is doing in Cloquet and in the surrounding area just blows my mind. I have never seen unity among churches like this in my life. Do you realize that every single Wednesday morning, pastors, us, and pastors from 10 to 15 different churches and denominations all get together to pray together for two hours every Wednesday morning? to pray for our city and to talk about and plan how we can better reach this, this area. Isn't that amazing? It's not, well, you're Baptist and you're, no, oh, we're going to stay. We don't believe the same as you. Uh-uh, we're all coming together. I've never seen that in my life. Praise God. It is so cool. Yeah. God is moving. And Wood City Music Festival came about because Lee Harris, if you were here last week and saw him talk and heard his heart, God said, I want a music festival in Cloquet. And that's what brought everyone together. Uh, And we had the community worship service then, the first one last year. That's where Wood City Worship came about, where every single month, 10 to 15 churches again in the area get together and go from church to church, rotate every month, and have a worship service together. Isn't that cool? God is doing just amazing things in our area. I can't believe it. Here in this church, there's so many ways that you can get involved and just pray about it and say, God, whatever my heart is, your, your heart is for me, just tell me. We have children's ministry, obviously. Vicki and Celia could use help all the time. If that's your heart and you like kids, get involved there. There's your piece of the wall maybe that you can help a little bit. We've got a youth group that could use some help when they start up here again in the fall. Working with youth. If that's your thing, let's go. Worship team. You know, you might have some musical abilities, but you sit here every week and go, well, they've got a full team. They seem like they've got it taken care of. We are, did you know we're a planted church from Hibbing Assembly? They planted us, and that's our heart. We're going to plant churches. This isn't just it. We're moving on. We're going to build an, plant another church. We're going to plant another church. We need worship teams. We need people that are trained up and ready to go so we can use them. Okay, who's willing to go to that church? And then they can grow some more and move on to the next church and everything. God is moving, and we need, we need wall builders to help do their part. So, hey, don't, don't hesitate to talk about getting involved, even if it seems like something is covered. We need a lot, a lot of help. 
Missions. Did you know we support more than 15 missionaries all across the country? Every month we send the money from this little church in Good Hope, or in Kolkata, Minnesota. Praise God. We are changing lives in Thailand and Indonesia and Sweden and all over the world and across the United States. What a thing to be involved in. Isn't that cool? We are to the point where, man, we need a missions committee because it's, it's a lot to manage and take care of. And if that's your heart, Man, come talk to us. We'll see if we can get you involved. We're going to do, now that we'll have the space, we're going to do a uh, um, missions convention in the spring here sometime so that you can, we'll have some of the missionaries come here and talk and everything. You can learn about what's going on and what we're actually helping to do around the world. It, it's amazing. Prayer team, we have prayer teams you can get involved in if that's your heart, uh, to just to pray for people and spend time in prayer. We have a food ministry. That's awesome. If there's something like a death in the family or if you have a baby or you're moving or something like that and you need meals, deliver meals to people, what an awesome ministry that is. Uh, there's a women's group. I'm sure Amy could always use help there if you want to get involved there. Ushers. We've got the ushers that take care of things and make sure everyone has a place to sit and everything's in order. You can always use help there. Wood City Worship, which we talked about. You can get involved with that. The Music Festival. Uh, there's tons more, and I'm out of, going to be running out of time, but there's so many places you get involved. Right here. Not right here. Even in, around the city, there's programs like Drug Court, like Shelters, Food Banks, the Mattawa Covenant Church, their ministry. There's just tons of opportunities out there. That's my encouragement. Pray about what is your piece of the wall. What is it God wants to use you to do? Because, man, he's doing some cool things in this area. The story gets better, but we don't have time to read the rest. Go ahead and read it on your own. They rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem. Opposition came. Bickering came between each other. And that's where we had to learn, like, if you were here when I preached last time about the renewing of their mind, they had to learn to get out of this little thinking and keep their eye on the goal and keep their eye on God. Quit your bickering and and arguing and worrying about these things that don't matter anyway. And We're here to rebuild a wall, an entire city. Uh, so there's a lot that can be learned there from the rest of the book of Nehemiah too. Uh, there's four main points that I pulled out of here that, that are my takeaways from the book of Nehemiah. Number one, he wept over the condition of the city. We've got to be aware of what's out there and what's around us. That's the heart of God. The heart of God is reaching out to people. Number two, he prayed for God's direction and strength before he moved forward. That's important just because, well, I like this, so this is what I'm going to do for God. He might have something completely different for you, something better. Uh, Spend time in prayer and on your face before God, before, before moving forward. Number three, he used his position that God had put him in to do the work God had called him. Be aware of that. And number four, he remained focused on God's promises and his calling, and he refused to be tricked into focusing on the enemy or on his own selfish thoughts. One-mindedness. God, I'm here to serve you. Uh, If we can keep focused on that, we can get it done, right? So, ready to rebuild the city? Praise God. He's got got something for us. I'm going to have the prayer team come forward, uh, and we'll pray in closing here. Hope you like the story of Nehemiah. And um, and we'll go on. Praise God. The prayer team's always up here for you. Anything that you want to be prayed for or prayed with or talked to them about, they're here. Uh, You're welcome to linger and hang out and be in prayer uh, as we prepare for the second service. So let's pray. Thank you, God, so much for your heart for people. 
that that's what brought me here, that that's brought each one of us here, is your heart for us, you're drawing us in, you're calling us by your spirit, Lord God, and that's what you want for all of those around us. And the cool thing is you want us to be a part of it, and you'll let us be a part of it. God, we want to do that. We want to dig in and reach out. And uh, as our church motto was, reach up, rise up, and to reach out, Lord God. Help us to do that. Show us how we can do that. Show us our little piece of the wall that you want us to rebuild, Lord God. I pray as we go out this week that you just uh, grant safety to all of us and, and uh, just bless us with your presence, Lord God, so we can bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're dismissed. <laughs>